Amazing grace. I mean, come on, really? I'm not buying it. I mean, grace? I mean, you really believe it? Like, grace is the worst, isn't it? I mean, grace? Like, people talk all, all about how they love grace, right? And I just, I don't think it's true. I hate grace. And don't, don't look at me like that. You hate it too, okay? No matter, no matter, grace? I mean, sure, I don't, I don't mind it so much for myself, right? But for anybody else, grace is the worst. It is infuriating. Like, here, here's what we want for everybody else, right here. Yes! I mean, anybody else here deeply satisfied when this happened earlier this spring? Oh, oh, man. I mean, I feel bad about how much I enjoyed that, okay? Um, I have been waiting since May 15th to work this into a sermon, right? Because, I mean, who doesn't hate Bautista, right? I'm, I, I just have a hunch that even his mother was thankful in this moment, okay? Because he, ha- he had it coming, right? And, and even, like, so, so Odor, right, the guy who punched him, he was, he was fined uh, $5,000 by Major League Baseball. It's, you know, frowned upon to do that. Um, and fans actually started a GoFundMe page <laughs> to thank him for being God's hand of justice, right? And this snake's life, right? Ugh, just, that's, that's what we want, right? Not, like, grace? Are you kidding me? No way. No, I'm not, I'm not condoning violence, okay? I don't really think Odor should have punched him. I feel like I'm supposed to say that. I don't know. <laughs> but can we just look at it one more time? Because <laughs> that's, I mean, it's justice. It's fairness. Like, that's, that's what we want. That's what, that's what we crave, not, not grace. I, I mean, like, uh, anybody here ever, ever speed? Let me just know that. Um, it's between you and God, I guess. Um, how dare you? Uh, but have you, like, had those moments, of course, right? And you, you look back in, in the mirror, right? Uh, and and what, what are you hoping for? What are you hoping for in that moment? Grace. Yeah, grace. Hey, have, you ever, have you ever had the moment, though, where, like, you've been speeding, uh, and then, like, some other car comes zooming around you faster than you, and then you watch as they get pulled over? I mean, that's, like, the best day of my life when that happens. Uh, and it's not, it's not just that I got away with it. It's that they, who had the nerve of driving faster than me, got what they deserved, right? Like, why is that so satisfying? And I can see it in some of your faces, like literally, um, that you're like, like, how is this guy a pastor, right? Um, listen, you should hear the things I don't say, okay? Um, besides, how about a little grace, hmm? Like you'd never compare yourself to others. You've never judged someone, someone for doing the exact thing you're guilty of. You've never demanded grace for you and condemnation for them. Come on. Who are you kidding? Of course you have. Why? Because grace is the worst. It's infuriating. Grace, I mean, that, that, what that means is, is receiving something good that you, that you don't deserve. Uh, receiving something, something good for free that you couldn't 
that you couldn't have earned. And, and grace, I mean, it's at the very center of the Christian faith. I mean, like, grace is what sets Jesus apart from any other religion or worldview. Grace is everything we have. It's all that we are. Everything, if you're a Christian, it is all about grace. And yet, it is the exact opposite of the way we naturally act. It's the exact opposite. Of, I mean, it's so counterintuitive, grace. Like, who came up with this idea of grace? And so we hate it, and Jesus knows it, and he knows it's going to be a massive problem for us humans. In fact, I'm convinced that one of the reasons we reject Jesus is because we so despise grace. And if you don't believe me, just listen to this story that Jesus tells. And so, yes, we are still in Matthew chapter 20, hey, huh? Making progress. And for those of you who are like, yeah, how long is this Matthew thing going to last? Um, so we're going to take a break in the fall for Matthew. So if you're looking for a little bit of that, uh, and we will pick up in the last week of Jesus's life uh, from January of next year until just after Easter. So that's kind of where we're going. We'll spend the first part of the year focusing in on that last, that last week of it. So we'll have a little break. And you know, I don't know if you're like me, but like, I'm a little bit relieved because these last few weeks, like have you been here? They hurt, don't they? It's been painful. Jesus talked about forgiveness and divorce and money and now, and now grace. I mean, we should have called this series, Matthew, it's going to hurt, right? Because week after week, Jesus just punches us in the gut and grace, right? And today is, today is no exception because grace is infuriating. And so, so Jesus now at this point, right, he's been teaching about his coming kingdom and in this particular section of Matthew, he keeps hitting on over and over again this, this ridiculous idea that in his kingdom, right, in, in the world that he is establishing, the things that he is going to make right, that the first will be last and the last will be first. That's, that's how his kingdom works. And so he's talked about how if you want to enter into his kingdom, you got to do it like a little child, right? You got to be desperate, independent, and absolutely needy. That's the only way we can get in. And, and the disciples, I mean, he keeps, Jesus keeps harping on this. And the disciples, I mean, they're still scratching their heads, when Jesus tells them a little story. Chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. Jesus says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. Okay, so, so far, nothing Nothing strange, nothing out of, out of the ordinary here. This small business owner, right? He, he goes out early in the morning. For, for them, like a work day was 6 to 6, okay? So, so presumably the first hour of the day is 6 a.m. That, for for that, that cultural mindset. And so he goes out probably a little bit before 6. He gets the crew that he needs to do his work. He's done this before, right? He's got this vineyard, this, this farm. And so he goes out, he gets the workers that he needs and agrees to pay them a day's wage. Nothing unusual, Here's where the story gets a little bit strange. Verse three. And going out about the third hour, so third hour from six, that's how it's counting here, so 9 a.m., he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. And then he comes back at noon, does the exact same, and then he comes back again at three, does the exact same. And it's important culturally here, it's, it's not that he needs more workers, right? 
It's not like he made a mistake at 6 a.m. He hired the crew that he needs. He, he's done this before. He knows, he knows what it takes to harvest or, or whatever the work that they're doing there in the field. He knows what it takes. So he's, he's, not, he's not going back because he made a mistake. He's going back again and again because he's concerned for all the laborers, the workers that he's left behind. He wants to make sure that, that they, they've gotten a job to do, that they have work to do, that they're able to, to provide for their families at the end of the day. So he goes back again and again and again to see, okay, who's left? Is anybody left? Do they, do they need work? And so already we see this guy's compassion, don't we? He doesn't need more workers. He wants more. And not just for the good of his farm, but for the good of those, those workers. And then here's, here's where the story goes from, from weird to, I don't know, crazy, I guess. Verse, verse 6. And about the 11th hour, okay, so that's 5 p.m., quitting time is at 6. 5 p.m., he goes out, and he found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And the fact that no one has hired them by this point, I mean, what does it say about those people, right? They're not exactly the cream of the crop, right? Like, they're, they're not the, the, the best workers out there, right? If, if they've been passed over again and again and again, there's, there's something longing in them. They're not the strongest, they're not the most likable, they're not the best equipped. And so you've got to picture this final time at five o'clock when the master goes out there. It's, you know, it's the guy who's way too old to be doing this kind of work. It's the kid who's way too young. It's the person walking with a limp. It's people who have nothing, nothing really to There's a reason that they're still there unhired. There's a reason they've been passed over by everybody else in the marketplace. But the master has compassion on them and he hires them anyway. Okay, but like for one hour? I mean, doesn't seem like more trouble than it's worth. Why not just give them some money and send them on their way, right? If he has so much compassion, why doesn't he just do that? Well, that's because the master knows that work is good. We're created to work, that there's dignity in, in work and the things that we do and producing with our hands and able to, to provide for, for our needs and our family. Like that's a good thing. The master knows it. Jesus knows it. And so this guy in Jesus' story sends them to work in his field. Now it's quitting time. Well, that came quick, right? Time flies when you only work an hour. And it's time to get paid. And standard in that, that culture at the end of the day, you get your payment for, the, for a day's work and you'd be able to go and buy food for your family on your way home. But this master, he's got a plan. It's kind of a terrible plan, actually, at least from our perspective. And, and so here, here's what he does. He, he tells the foreman, uh, to line up basically everybody, right? Line up all the workers um, and, and line them in order from, from when they've got there and start, start with those who came last and make sure everybody can see it. That's part, that's part of the plan here. They all got to see it. Pay those who worked one hour first and then pay those who worked three hours and then six and then nine and then pay last those who were here all day. I mean, honestly, those who did the majority of the work, right? Wait, wait on them. And not, not only does this, this seem like an absolute HR nightmare, right? It seems like a really foolish way to run a business. Because what he does next, 
the guys who worked one hour, they get paid for a full 12-hour day. I mean, good for them, I guess. I, I mean, it had to feel good for them to, to have a little dignity because they did some work and actually able to take home enough money to buy food for their family and, and feed them. And so, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's good, right, for them. For them. But, so the guys then who were there all day, well, they're watching all this. And they see it. They begin doing the math, right? They're, you know, they're doing it quick. It's like, okay, well, they got a full day's wage for one hour. We were here 12 hours. That times 12. Well, surely, surely we're not going to get 12 times. But still, it's got to be more, right? It's got to be better than them. There's, there's got to be more for me at the end of this story. But they get the exact same. It's the exact same amount that they all agreed upon you know, 12 hours earlier, right? It's the exact amount that they've been working all day expecting. But put yourself in their shoes. Like, how mad would you be right now? I mean, it's, it's, it's unfair. It's infuriating. Like, this, like how, how could you possibly do this? Like, they worked one hour. You worked 12 that brutal labor in the hottest part of the day, right? Your back hurts. You stink. You're sweaty, right? You've got blisters all over your hands. You did I mean, let's be honest, you did pretty much everything. And you get the same. In fact, they even say to the master, you're going to treat us the same as them. And that's, that's essentially what, what's happening. Like, how, like how, is, how is that possibly fair? I mean, just even imagine, like, in a more contemporary example, like, what if uh, you watch Michael Phelps win yet another gold medal, right? And all the work, all the discipline, all the training, right? Years of all of that that's gone into that. He just won, and he looks around, and like everybody that he just raced against is also receiving a gold medal, right? Like even last place, even the lifeguard, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, which, by the way, how do you get that job? Um, I'll save you, Michael. I don't, it's just, I don't, I don't get it. But, but even, she gets a, she, even she gets a gold medal, right? That's ridiculous. Like, who would watch? Who would, who would train? Who would try? Who would do anything? And we're like, well, we all just, we're just throwing out gold medals, you know? And so, of course, they grumble at the master. They begrudge his generosity. Is the translation there. Of course they do. And don't think for a moment you wouldn't do the same, right? You know why? Because grace is the worst, we hate it. It's infuriating. It's insulting, frankly. And so Jesus tells us the master, he replies to one of them in the midst of their whining. And the master says, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius, a day's wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Like, it's my money. Like, you're going to tell me what to do with my money? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first. And the first, last. And if you remember how Jesus began this story in verse 1, he said, this is what my kingdom looks like. This is the way my world is supposed to work, well, the way it's, it's going to work. This, this is what I am, I am doing with this, this earth and making things right. This, this is what it looks like. 
A kingdom that welcomes the unwanted, the despised, the rejected, right? The people you don't really want to be there, who don't get it all right. The, the sinful, the broken, the, the ugly, the messy. And now, now they're here. They don't live the same way you do. They don't vote the same way you do. They don't look the same way that you do. And they have the nerve to show up late. It's a kingdom that's always, it's always welcoming. It doesn't matter, even in the final moments, the final hour, even for those who, for whatever reason, right, have been lazy all day, even they are invited in. And they, they get the same. That's grace. And there's only two ways that you could respond to grace. You can resent it or receive it. That's it. Resent it or receive it. And here, here's why grace is so infuriating. I think there are three things in particular. Why, why it's so insulting. Ugh, grace. Right? Three things. First, we hate grace because grace isn't fair. And we want it fair, especially when I've worked so hard. Like, I, I've, I've done it all. Like, why? We, it's got to be fair. I mean, just for example, like, we, we love, like, culturally, uh, rags to riches stories. You know what I'm saying? Like somebody who has nothing and they work really hard and they make it all the way to the top. I mean, those we make into movies. We love those, those kinds of stories. But how do we feel about trust fund babies? <laughs> they're both rich. I mean, economically, they're exactly the same. And yet one is like, ugh, spoiled little brat, right? Never did anything to earn this. Just inherited it all, please. And so maybe on a more personal level, you, you look around this room, people you know, and you're, you're doing your best to follow Jesus, probably better than most, you know, in your humble opinion. But why is it that you can barely make ends meet? That your family is struggling again and again. Why your, your health keeps faltering, those, those you love around you. You know that you're better than them. And yet their life looks so easy compared to yours. And you've given up so much to follow Jesus, and you know they haven't worked nearly as hard in eternity with them. We want things to be fair, don't we? And grace isn't fair. Grace is a gift. And just like Jesus says, right, the master, he can do whatever he wants with his stuff. Like, who are we to tell him who he can show favor to or not? It's his. But the reality is, you and I would much rather earn it than have it given to us. And we actually think that we can. In fact, that's the second reason why we hate grace so much. Grace is infuriating because we can't earn it. Like it just, it, it cannot be earned. Grace cannot be earned. And so you might think to yourself, like, I've been, I've been trying to follow Jesus most of my life. I show up early. I stay late. I've got the calluses on my hands to prove it. Shouldn't I have earned a better life by now? Or, or at least a, a better place in, e in eternity? See, truth be told, deep down, I don't want grace. I want merit. Like, I want to I earn it. Like, I, I know theologically that I owe God an enormous debt, but I want the payment plan, right? I, I want to figure out a way. Like, just, God, I, I know it's huge. I know that I've rebelled against you and reject, but just show me, like, what do I have to do? I don't want to be in his debt. I don't want to be in anybody's debt. I want, I want to find, I want, yes, I want salvation, but I want my, my name on the list of credits, right? 
I, I, want, I want at least some, some credit for it. I mean, just think about it. Like, grace is such a rare thing in our world. Where do you find grace today? It's so rare. Everything for us is about earning, about merit. I mean, even, I mean, even think about like, the way we do Christmas, like outside of for maybe kids, but like, we don't really give gifts. We trade them, don't we? I mean, so I'm like, and maybe I'm just, maybe this is me. Um, but it's like, if I'm like, okay, she's going to spend about $25. Um, so I need to spend about $25. And if you, don't, if you don't believe me, like, have you ever received a really nice gift from someone that you got something lousy in return? It feels terrible because now you owe them. You're in their debt and grace, grace leaves us with a debt that we cannot repay. And that is offensive because we pay for everything else, don't we? Like we? We can do it on our own. We don't need anybody's help. I don't want grace. I want to earn it. And that's really the third, the third reason grace is so infuriating. Grace, it leaves us powerless. If this is the way it works, we have no control anymore. We're, we're, we're powerless. It's not fair. You can't earn it. So there's nothing that you can do about it except thank the master and, and give him the only thing you do have, which is your life. We all know how easy that is. Hey, Tim Keller, for example, writes, if I was saved by my good works, then there would be a limit to what God could ask of me or put me through. I would be like a taxpayer with rights. I would have done my duty and now I would deserve a certain quality of life. But if I am a sinner saved by sheer grace, then there's nothing he cannot ask of me. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden we're out of control. <laughs> like, like somebody, somewhere. Um, it leaves us powerless. And you know, this, this whole time, the whole time we've been blaming grace as our problem, our problem really isn't with grace. The problem is with the master. Like, who is this guy? He's infuriating, right? Who sets up, who sets up a world like this? Who, who makes an economy like this? Who offers us, broken and selfish as we are, grace. We don't have a grace problem. People, we have, we have a God problem, which is a really, really big problem. But you know what? We got we to push back for a second here, kind of step, take a step away. Because um, this, this whole time we've been talking about this story, uh, looking at it from one perspective. In fact, Jesus tells it in such a way that we, we automatically, don't we? We identify with the people who've worked all day. I mean, that's how much we hate grace. We just assume we're the ones who've done it all, don't we? I mean, every one of us that you hear this story is like, yeah, I've worked a lot, right? It's been a long, hard day. I've done all this and, and they've done nothing. And I mean, that's, that's how we hear it. We don't need grace. We just need a little more elbow grease to earn our way into the kingdom of heaven. But the reality is that's not us in this story. And we think it is. That's, that's a big part of the problem. But what if instead... What if instead, because of, because of my sin, my rebellion against the God who made me, what if, what if because of my constant selfishness and arrogance and greed and self-centeredness, my constant rejection of this master, what if we're the unwanted ones? What if, what if we're the ones standing there out of work, 
the rejects, the last. No one, no one will hire you. For, for whatever reason, there's, there's no way you're going to, you can't provide for your family. You're a failure. You're not good enough, strong enough, right enough. And once again, you've disappointed the people around you. If that's us, and the master says, come anyway, that changes the perspective a little bit, doesn't it? In fact, suddenly, grace becomes our only hope. Grace can either be resented or received. So how do we receive it? What does it look like to grab onto to grace and to build our lives around grace? What are the evidences that we've actually experienced this free gift? Well, three things here too. First, first we've got to stop trying to earn it. Stop believing that you can actually make God love you more, right? Or, or be less, you know, this is not, it's not how it works. God's love, his favor is, is free. You cannot earn it. You can, there's nothing you can do to make him love you more. There's nothing you can do to make him love you less. That's, that's grace. It's free and it is yours through Christ. God is that generous. And he came to earth to give us life free and clear. And it's not, it's not that effort is unimportant. Of course it is, right? And, and discipline and, and, and hard work, of course, all those things matter. And yet, when you've received grace, in fact, in many ways, when you receive grace, you actually work harder because you realize how inadequate you are. You realize the gap that there is. You, you know that you can't do it on your, on your own. You're even more loyal to this master. But the difference with grace is that you do it out of del- delight, not duty. You do it out of, out of joy, not fear. You do it not as a slave, but as a son, as a daughter. Longing to, longing to please a father who's already pleased with you because of Christ. I mean, the only thing that I have earned in God's eyes, that's death. That's it. Because of my sin, because of my rebellion, the only thing I have coming to me on my own is death. And if you keep trying to earn it, if you think you can muscle your way in with a little bit of good works, a little bit of good behavior... <laughs> If, if you think you could earn it, that's all, it's, that's all that's in the end of that path for you. It's death. It cannot be earned. And yet our master comes looking for us even in the final moments. It's never too late. And, and grace means you don't have to be perfect. It, it means you don't have to be right all the time. You don't have to hold it over others. You, don't, you can disagree. You can be patient. You can admit you're wrong. You can extend forgiveness. It's grace. Stop trying to earn it. Second, if we want to live this life of grace, we also have to stop comparing. Oh man, we compare, don't we? It's like the bread and butter of the human existence, particularly in a relationship. We just, we love to compare because there's always somebody worse. There's always somebody better. But grace doesn't need to compare because all we have is Christ's. And his is the only opinion that matters. And he loves you so much so that he came to this earth and died on a cross for you. We don't have to compare ourselves anymore. And I think, I think you know this. There's two ways like, we tend to compare, right? There's, there's whining comparing uh, and there's boasting comparing, right? And we, we're like ping-ponging back and forth constantly between them. But we don't, we don't have to whine anymore. And I mean, how many times have you said that to your kids, Right? We don't grow out of it. We just get more resentful and bitter about it. We get angrier and angrier and angrier as we compare. 
So what if someone is more gifted than you? Smarter, richer, more talented, better looking, a better parent, more successful, healthier? So? You're not threatened by that because you know all you have is grace. And your father in heaven is already pleased with you. Grace yields contentment. You don't have to whine anymore. You don't have to boast either. Because boasting is just as ridiculous, if if not more. All I have is Christ. Like, what am I supposed to boast about? Like, even even my ability to, to... to work hard, right? My, my intellect, the opportunities that I, I've been given, it's all, it's all grace. What I own is grace. My health is grace. My kids are grace. Everything in my life, all of it is grace. I mean, do you really think you're so awesome that you earned it all, right? I mean, I've, I've met most of you, right? It's, that's, there's got to be more to the story. Everything you have All that you are is grace. Stop comparing. Grace yields humility as well. Stop comparing. Finally, the last thing here. If you've you've received grace, um, then we've also got to stop hoarding it. It's amazing, isn't it, how we Christians just sort of hoard grace? How judgmental and self-righteous and angry and unforgiving and impatient and power hungry like we can be like how how is it that we who have received such grace can can refuse to extend the same kind of grace to another how could we possibly hoard it i mean i mean we're like that like a kid on on halloween night no offense kids um but like they come home and they're like sick with candy right and they have like a mountain of it. And they didn't earn any of it. It was all given to them. And I just want a Snickers, right? It's just one piece. <laughs> but that's, that's us, isn't it? We're, we're like bloated with grace. But it's, you know. Like what's wrong with, why do we do that? And we, we, talk, we talk about justice as Christians and we, we fight for justice for the oppressed and for the marginalized and we, and we should. And, and justice, right, by definition is treating people as they deserve. Is that the best we can do? I mean, I, like, if, like if you've been following us with Jesus, do you think justice is really what he's calling us to? To treat people as they deserve? No, Jesus calls us to extravagance. That at every turn, we don't ask, what, is, what does this person deserve? We ask, how can I treat them better than they deserve? Because that's, that's how God has treated me. And just imagine, like, just pretend, make believe, like a community that actually lived that out. Like, what if that was us here in this room, that in every one of our, our relationships, like, what would this do to your, to your marriage if your first thought was always, how do I treat this person better than they deserve? Not as they've treated me, not as, as I think they deserve, but better like, how, what would that change to your, your family, to your roommates, to your, your friends? What about at your school or work and the, the people that you just can't stand? We all have those in our lives. I'm picturing somebody right now. <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, I'm convicted by this. How do I treat him better than he deserves? Even though, I'd much rather Bautista's face, right? Just do that. What would it look like for a community of people to live like this? knowing that that's, that's how God treats me. Yes, grace is infuriating. 
really, it's, it's only infuriating to those who've never received it. Once you know what this God has done for us, once you begin to taste his love and forgiveness that comes without strings, without, without manipulation upon us, and one of the surest signs that you've encountered Jesus is if we daily exhale grace to one another. It's part of the, part of the air that we breathe. We breathe it in because we've received so much and we push it out in every, every context in which we live. And I don't, I don't know what that's going to look like for you. Probably different for all of us because we all face different challenges with people. You know, I, I love the, the series of tweets from author uh, Scotty Smith. He did this a couple years ago. He sent out, uh, over a time period, 75 different signs that you're growing in grace. And I even love that language because none of us have arrived. Like, we're, all, we're always to be growing in, in, in grace. Let me, let me read a few of them. Actually, I'm going to read a lot of them. Um, so just hang with me. A sign you're growing in grace. It doesn't take as long to tell your wife she was right. A sign you're growing in grace. Failure is an option. Your perfectionism is being crushed by the weight of grace. A sign you're growing in grace, you enjoy excellence, goodness, and beauty offered by believers and non-believers alike. A sign you're growing in grace, a good day is defined more by relationships than personal accomplishments. A sign you're growing in grace, gossip isn't as juicy, revenge isn't as sweet, defeat isn't as bitter. A sign you're growing in grace, it doesn't take as much or as long to humble you. A sign you're growing in grace, you're, you're getting over your irritable heart syndrome, you're more patient and flexible. A sign you're growing in grace, you tip well, return calls, write thank you notes, and don't think any of this is legalism. A sign you're growing in grace, you don't think of long lines as wrecking your schedule, but as fellow image bearers of God. A sign you're growing in grace, you're not as defensive, quick to anger, sarcastic, or as pouty as you used to be. A sign you're growing in grace. You roll up your sleeves to serve quicker than you roll your eyes in disgust. A sign you're growing in grace. Your gospel is bigger, your gripes fewer, your generosity freer, and your laugh louder. And friends, here's why. The master has come looking for us. We who deserve nothing, we who are standing there on the street corner, unable to work, unable to provide for our families, unwanted and discarded by everyone else around us, passed over again and again by all the other, you know, hirers, right? And, and this, this master, he doesn't just come across town or come from his farm. He comes all the way from heaven. He becomes a man. He comes looking for us, not, not because he needs us, but because he has compassion on us. Even in the 11th hour, I mean, think about it. Jesus, I mean, he's the only one who puts in a full day's work, right? He's the only one who does the full 12, who, who always does right, who has never needed grace. And yet he comes looking for us, ready to give us dignity and hope and life and forgiveness. That, that he, he comes and he, he dies on the cross for our sins so that, so that he could receive the judgment that I deserve for my sins and that I could receive the grace that he would never even need. I mean, talk about the first becoming last and the last becoming first. But he did this gladly for you and me so that we could receive grace. Yeah, it's, it's a little infuri infuriating. Grace isn't fair. 
And it's, it's deeply offensive. It's hope for me. It's hope for, for my soul, for my, my relationships, for my work, for the people closest to me. There's, there's hope here. There's forgiveness. There's, there's life. There's wholeness. All of it offered to us, which makes grace pretty amazing. Let's pray. Father, I, I pray that you would um, forgive me for the many ways in which I've been bored with your grace. God, for the countless ways in which I try to earn it on my own by either being good enough or just by, by thinking your grace isn't enough and I have to go find happiness or joy elsewhere. God, for the many things that I trade. God, I pray that you would grip our hearts again with the beauty of what you've done for us, the freeness of what you've offered us, and that we as a return would respond with joy, not, not with duty, but with uh, just a, a delightful sense that you are the one that we get to serve, not, not as slaves, but as your sons and daughters. God, I pray that you would help us to extend that grace to others. God, especially in the relationships where it's hardest. God, I, I pray that that would be one of, the, one of the primary things that sets your community, your people apart from anyone else. God, that we are willing to treat people not just as they deserve, but better, lavishly, extravagantly, because that's what you've done for us. God, forgive us for our hoarding and help grace flow from us.